Welcome to Law and Crime's Daily Debrief, everybody. Connecticut authorities today releasing 467 pages of search warrants in the case of a missing mother of five. Jennifer Dulos vanished on May 24th last year. Now three people are charged in connection with her disappearance and her presumed death. The release of the documents came as no surprise after authorities finally moved against Fotis Dulos, estranged husband to Jennifer Dulos, his girlfriend, Michelle Traconis, and his former lawyer, Kent Mawinney. Fotis Dulos now faces a murder charge. Traconis and Mawinney face charges of conspiring to commit murder. The documents reveal the depth of the police investigation, which stretched literally from coast to coast. In the records, statements from a nanny who saw Fotis and Jennifer fighting. Jennifer said that her husband tried to hit her with his vehicle, and she needed to jump out of the way, the documents quote the nanny. The nanny also said she saw Fotis Dulos chasing his wife through the house. Jennifer slammed a door. Fotis tried to pound it open. Jennifer did not want to call the police, as she was very afraid of her husband, and he threatened to take the children permanently to Greece, the nanny reported. The documents go on to list everywhere authorities looked for evidence and some of what they found. They scoured computers, cloud storage devices, phone records, and financial records. In Jennifer's home were legal documents involving her divorce, her passport, a copy of her father's will, her credit cards, and her checkbook, all left behind. Authorities asked Google to provide data about any Internet and Maps searches made by anyone, anywhere, the morning Jennifer disappeared for Jennifer's home and nearby locations. For most of those requests, there was no data available, but Google did provide search data for a park where Jennifer's car turned up. On top of the mountains of phone, vehicle, GPS, and property search warrants were warrants for records from the times Fotis Dulos visited his children under supervision. Then there are the swabs and suspected blood stains from multiple vehicles. Jennifer's car, positive for presumptive blood, Those are all matters I have here. as was the car of a Fotis Dulos employee. All rise. Law and Crime was there last fall when defendant Fotis Dulos spoke briefly after a court hearing. This is when he was interrupted by a heckler and just after the judge instructed him not to speak about the case because of a gag order. I just want to say that I love my children. I miss them. got a broken family court system. And I think about them all the time. That's all. Attorney Norm Pattis said this during court, during Dulos's recent arraignment. We waited for months in anticipation for this warrant, wanting to see whether these beliefs would be produced or supported by fact. And the warrant we read last night offers us perishingly little that differs and advances a new theory of the case. Prior to yesterday, the motive was Mr. Dulos did this to extinguish his wife and the bitter divorce. Now it's to gain control of the trust fund. The case is actually charged in the alternative. It's either murder or it's felony murder arising out of a kidnapping. As to the strengths of the state's case, I think the state is still groping in the dark, grasping at straws, and it has thrown now a dart at Mr. Dulos, which has landed. The state believes he engineered and caused his wife's death. We don't. We're anxious for the trial. We're relieved by the allegations in the warrant. If that's all the state has, we're confident about trial. And Mr. Dulos has no interest in flight. He has every interest in fighting this case and reclaiming his, his, his reputation. Let's jump in with analysis now. Attorneys Mike Korobanics and Gigi Gonzalez are with me tonight. So Gigi, I flipped through 
all of the 467 pages of this, and I, even I was surprised at just how thoroughly this investigation rolled out. We had authorities going after OnStar and Sirius Satellite Radio GPS data, which may have been attached to the many vehicles involved in this case. You've got the mother's vehicle, you've got the defendant's vehicle, you've got the vehicle owned by the wife of one of the defendant, uh, Fotis Dulos's employees. They were really digging into everything here. They didn't find a lot with the GPS data, but they went after a lot. Oh, they, uh, it sounds like they certainly did. And it's important because they found bloodstains in these cars. And as we know from previous trials that we have been covering over the past few months, these cell phone evidences, these GPS evidences, those are the real nails in the coffin that really get the defendant uh, between a rock and a hard spot. So the fact that they went real deep and extensive with these search warrants, looking through the car GPSs and the OnStars, it's, um, they really wanted to make sure that they pieced together exactly what happened the day that she disappeared. I want to read a quote here from attorney Norm Pattis, the defense attorney for Fotis Dulos, to get both of your reactions to that. This is what he said. He said the state dropped its theory that Mr. Dulos was motivated by animus regarding the divorce because it learned we were right. There was no such motive. He said, I am stunned that the police never asked to speak to Mr. Dulos. We may well have been able to persuade them to drop the case altogether. We would have sat for an interview. That's the defense's reaction to these 467 pages of documents dropped today. Mike Korovanix, your reaction? I'm a little speechless with the reaction like that from a defense attorney, number one. And number two is, if I'm the prosecutor, I'll say, the door's open. Come on in now. If, what, what could change your story? It's not a very strong defense statement. Gigi, your thoughts? I'd have to agree, though I think that they were validated in the fact that they were able to dismiss the motivation of a divorce. The fact that they were able to clear that up is a point for the defense. But, you know, I also think that the defense is uh, making a good point of appearing open and cooperative with the investigation. Hey, look, listen, if you would have come and spoke to me and taken the time to uh, get to know what I know, maybe you would have never even pursued this case against me in the first place, but you didn't, and now we're here. So I think it's an interesting position for the defense to take. Yeah, I mean, and, and I have questions about, you know, whether or not the state actually did drop this theory of the divorce, because it's sort of there. And we heard Norm Pattis say last week that this case is basically being pleaded in the alternative, that there was the divorce, and then there was a lot of family money. So, you know, and then we're getting these documents with these statements from the nanny saying that there were all these fights back and forth between the purported victim and the defendant. So uh, another thing I want to ask you about quickly here, Mike, Google mapping data. They're looking for everyone searching key addresses and places in this case. So if anybody searched those addresses and those places before she disappeared, the day she disappeared, they wanted that data. And apparently Google delivered at least something. Well, Google data, when you get it, is very intimidating. And that's why I'm laughing at when he's saying about they changed the theory. He's just been formally charged. There's a lot of trial prep that's going to be going on here. And the defense should, I think, read more of the discovery and speak less and see what they're going to have to defend against. Advice there from Mike Korobonics, also from Gigi Gonzalez. Attorney Michael Avenatti is back behind bars, accused of violating the conditions of his release. Avenatti was arrested Tuesday night while appearing before a California state bar court for a disciplinary hearing. Federal prosecutors say Avenatti embezzled $4 million from a paraplegic client. He's also accused of extorting athletic company Nike and adult film star Stormy Daniels, a former client. Prosecutors are now alleging Avenatti continued to commit financial crimes while he was out on bail.
Television will not be allowed in the disciplinary proceeding for the prosecutor who convicted Jody Arias in the murder of Travis Alexander. A judge overseeing the license hearing said the testimony is, in his words, expected to be highly sensitive and very private with intimate descriptions of persons' physical anatomies and sexual proclivities. This is in the Juan Martinez case, folks. That's in addition to testimony about medical conditions. The judge is, however, allowing still photography in that proceeding. More on this ruling and the background of the proceedings against Prosecutor Juan Martinez is on lawandcrime.com. Attorneys for the accused Parkland school shooter are seeking more evidence in discovery, but this time it's for his case involving an attack on a jail guard. Nicholas Cruz's attorneys want to know where surveillance video is from inside the Broward County Jail from before and after Cruz is accused of assaulting a deputy in November 2018. Deputies say Cruz rushed a guard, punched him in the face, and took a stun gun. Prosecutors are calling this request a delay tactic. Cruz is scheduled to go to trial for the assault charge at the end of this month, but his attorneys are asking to delay it. Emails between Cruz's defense and jail officials show the jail already provided video of the actual incident, but the jail cannot find the additional recordings the defense is seeking. Cruz is expected to go to trial for the killings of 17 students and faculty at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School this summer. Cruz is said to have confessed to the Parkland shooting in a police interrogation shortly after the actual killings. That part of the recording is redacted, but we are able to hear when Cruz told detectives that he was hearing demons. I'm not. I'm trying to understand why. Well, 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 why didn't you want to stop I, the demon? I don't know. <laughs> because you, I think you like the demon. No, I don't. Why didn't you stop it then? I don't like the demon. 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 Well, that's if that's if the demon even exists. Can I get an attorney or something? You want what? An attorney? Yeah. The, the demon. The uh, the voices tell you to get an attorney. Okay. All right, will you tell the voice that don't hit yourself in the head because the, the, the attorney, the, the demon just requested, I will, I will stop talking to you. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. You're scared of what? I'm scared of what? Why wouldn't you protect me, man? I don't know. Why wouldn't you protect me? All right, well, again, your demon wants an attorney. Does he, does he demon know an attorney? Any name in particular? Okay. All right, well, just relax. You're done talking to me. Let's turn again to Mike Horabanix and Gigi Gonzalez. So, Mike, this is a guy sitting there who basically is ready to confess, according to his attorneys, to 17 murders in order to avoid the death sentence. But when you watch that recording, what's it say to you? It, I find it very disturbing. That is one of the most unprofessional interrogations I've ever seen. The sarcasm coming from that police officer is not a good look for law enforcement. And it's, it's just something I've never seen in my experience being on both sides. So you think there should be some more professionalism in there. Gigi, let's talk about these alleged delay tactics because we're hearing this complaint from the prosecution in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas case involving the actual killings of the students. Now we're hearing it in the case involving the jail guard because they're saying, well, look, the defense has already got the video of the incident. They just want everything before and after. Is that too much of a request from the defense? I don't think so because what happens before and after could be exculpatory. Maybe, you know, the defendant in this case was provoked by an unprofessional guard. As we saw in that police interrogation video, they were acting unprofessional. I'll agree with Mike there. 
you know, maybe uh, the prison guard was antagonizing him considering, uh, you know, the heinous crimes that he's been accused of committing. You know, we don't know that, but those videos will reveal that. And it's important that the state turn it over to the defense so that we could figure out, so the defense could figure out what a proper defense is for this uh, particular charge. Good insight from you there, Gigi. A brief court appearance in Tennessee today for the suspect in the killing of NBA player Lorenzen Wright. Billy Ray Turner's trial has been pushed back several times, so the defense has time to review all of the discovery. Lorenzen Wright is believed to have died July 19th when police received a call from his phone and heard gunfire. Wright was last seen the previous day. His body turned up about a week later, and police found an alleged murder weapon about four months later. The victim's ex-wife pleaded guilty this past summer to facilitating the killing. Here is today's hearing. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Mr. State of Tennessee versus Billy Ray Turner's term is represented by Mr. John Perry. Mr. Austin Schofield is president for the state. Mr. Paul Hagerman also represents the state on this case. Mr. Turner, I talked to the lawyers, and they're asking for another report date. I'm going to set this case for a report on February the 11th. That's a Tuesday. The lawyers have told the court they're finishing some investigation on your case. They're also coordinating with experts to make sure that when we put a, uh, select a trial date in this case, that those experts will in fact be available. Let's try to continue to work with the lawyers, Mr. Perry. And if this case cannot be resolved on February 11th, if the lawyers tell them they've done all their investigations and the experts are lined up, we will recommend a trial date for you. So we'll set your case for trial at that time. Do you have any questions, Turner? Um, see you back to court on Tuesday, February 11th. And on we go. Deceased millionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein is now being accused of sexually abusing girls in the U.S. Virgin Islands through the year 2018. According to a lawsuit filed by the Attorney General of the U.S. Virgin Islands, Epstein transported underage girls to his private island and forced them into sex work beginning in 2001. Epstein apparently used a system of private planes, helicopters, boats, and vehicles to bring young women and girls to Little St. James Island. The suit alleges Epstein was involved in a scheme to molest and exploit girls between 12 and 17 years old. The Attorney General is seeking to dissolve the Epstein enterprise, asking for punitive damages and for a jury trial. Still ahead here on The Debrief, jury selection hits a snag in the case of a man accused of killing his family on the date of a rare blue moon. Plus, jury selection in the high-profile sex crimes case of movie producer Harvey Weinstein. That, plus other reports, are after the break. Let's look now at a case we'll be covering very shortly here on the Law and Crime Network. Donald Hartung faces the possible death penalty in Florida if convicted on charges he killed his mother and his two brothers. Police claimed Hartung committed ritualistic killings tied to witchcraft on the date of a rare blue moon. Jury selection is underway. We are planning to hear opening statements on Friday as jury selection is now taking much longer than expected. We are also following the case of the man convicted of killing a family of four and burying them in a California desert. Chase Merritt is scheduled to be sentenced on Friday and we plan to be there. A jury recommended a death sentence last year in the murders of Summer McStay and her two young children in 2010. The jury recommended Merritt spend his life in prison for the murder of his business partner, Joseph McStay. Lead attorney James McGee was officially relieved of his duties on the defense team last November. Defense attorney Raj Malin is continuing on to represent Merritt. Here was the verdict in that case. We, the jury in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Charles Ray Merritt, guilty of the offense of murder in the first degree in violation of Penal Code Section 187A of Joseph McStay, dated June 7th, 
title of court and cause, verdict, we the jury in the above entitled action find the defendant, Charles Ray Merritt, guilty of the offense of murder in the first degree in violation of Penal Code Section 187A of Summer Mixed Day, dated June 7, 2019. The Massachusetts teenager convicted of encouraging her boyfriend to commit suicide will soon be released from prison. Massachusetts officials say Michelle Carter is due to be released January 23rd after a trouble-free period of incarceration in the Bristol County Jail in that state. Carter tried to argue that the First Amendment protected her speech when she texted her suicidal boyfriend, Conrad Roy, to finally take his own life. That argument failed. Carter waived her right to a jury trial, so it was a judge who issued the conviction. Jury selection in the Harvey Weinstein case has been a very bumpy ride, as one might imagine. A potential juror told the judge he knows Weinstein personally and cannot be impartial. The husband of TV personality Zana Roberts Rossi was dismissed from the jury pool. Roberts Rossi appeared on the show Project Runway All-Stars, where Harvey Weinstein's ex-wife Georgina Chapman served as a judge for seven seasons. The husband told the judge today that he knows Weinstein, Weinstein's former wife, his children, that juror was dismissed along with 43 other people who say they could not be fair and impartial. Attorney and jury consultant Adam Bliley told Law and Crime, Law and Crime rather earlier today what he says would be a favorable jury panel for the defense. Well, what I've found is it depends upon the case. If you have a young accuser, you find out you rule out the older members, especially grandmothers, because they are ultra protective of children. But if you have an adult that's the accuser, you flip it the other way. You want older jurors because they have a tendency to spread responsibility versus younger, uh, let's say the millennials, have a tendency to be on the Me Too movement side. Uh, I would say older males, older females, because we have uh, adult accusers who would tend to look at the the accusers that they put themselves in a situation, or at least they have some responsibility. They knew what they were getting into. The next section of jury selection begins tomorrow. The pool of jurors they've been questioning for the last week and a half will be narrowed down further based off of more specific questions. Jury expert Adam Liley told Law and Crime what he thinks will be the most important question. The one thing is I put it out front. I want to know what their definition, their personal definition is of rape, because some people have the, the view of rape as the person that jumps out behind from behind the bushes, grabs someone, forces them down. And then there's the other side. Uh, millennials often have it where it's almost like someone should know that uh, this person doesn't have consent. So you have to look at the value, the definition each person has, because that'll give you a mindset of where they are going into it. Let's go back to our panel right now. Gigi Gonzalez and Mike Korobanix. We've got some last minute information and apparently the defense has moved for a change of venue yet again and for a stay of proceedings here, saying that the majority of prospective jurors are tainted by extrajudicial statements publicity and whatnot. They say it's a, quote, carnival-like atmosphere there at that courthouse and that many jurors are unwilling to be fair and impartial. Gigi, your thoughts on that? You know, I think they've got a really good position. You know, this jury has been tainted over the past 
couple of years. There, you can't go to a coffee shop and order something from the from the deli without seeing Harvey Weinstein's name on the front page or on the television or what have you. So I think they have an excellent position for a change of venue, especially considering right outside the courthouse, you have celebrity protesters, uh, you know, confronting the jurors as they walk through to the proceedings. You know, as far as its, uh, its chances of winning is concerned, I'm not sure, since the judge has already made a decision on this against the defense, but we'll have to see in the new motion. You know, Mike, I've got to ask about this. Whenever I hear things like carnival-like atmosphere, it's a jab at the press. And look, the defense has been walking up to microphones for quite some time in this. The prosecution has slammed them for doing so. So, you know, can you do that and then turn around and complain that the press is showing up to listen to what you have to say? Well, I, it's, it's very difficult. In this world where everybody is so connected and social media, things of that nature, you can almost make this argument for every kind of case. The thing which, I, and I agree with you, I think defense attorneys should bring their case in court and defend their case in court. But I do think there's a problem with the protests and things of that nature where jurors walk past to get into the courtroom and they should really figure out a way to protect the First Amendment, yet do it in a manner where it won't affect this right to a fair trial. And look, Gigi, I've been at these courthouses and high-profile cases like this, and I've watched them go very, very well where there are separate entrances and exits for members of the jury. The press is over on the other side of the courthouse, and everybody behaves without a problem whatsoever. In this case, you know, I don't know about the carnival-like atmosphere. I'm not down there, but my issue with this is that the number of jurors who are walking into the place saying, I know Weinstein or I, I've seen Weinstein personally or I know people who worked with him and by changing the venue you would escape that I mean would you this is a global superstar yeah this you're not going to get people in Buffalo New York who worked with Harvey well maybe there because he did live there for a while you're not going to get people in Plattsburgh New York who worked with Harvey Weinstein move it to Essex County up on the Canadian border Fair, yes. You're definitely going to have less people that have had interaction with him on a personal basis up north, but people are still affected uh, and have still opined on this Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein's role in it. That so is everywhere. I agree with that. Gigi, I love, we, I love the discussion. we got to wrap up, though, here on The Debrief. We're going to be back here tomorrow at 5 o'clock with more on the Weinstein jury selection and other cases. We'll see you then.